This Amazon seller started with magnetic eyelashes that she said just didn't work. Now she has a million dollar brand and sells one product at a 45% profit margin. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed, organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And we've got a serious seller on the line with us today. Sharon, how is it going? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Bradley. Very excited to be here. It's going good. How are you? I'm doing just delightful. I am here on, this is a week where two of the days we're not going to be here in the office. So you get kind of like, uh, here here in America, there's this thing that seniors in high school get called senioritis. It's like, once you're a senior, you're almost about to graduate. You kind of like, don't want to do anything. Well, that's how I'm feeling right now. So I had to like get <laughs> motivated here. of like, nope, Sharon's coming on. So I am excited actually to be here at work. So don't let me down. My excitement <laughs> level is really high. So no pressure, but I have high expectations for this interview here. Cool. I'll do my very best. <laughs> awesome. Now, one thing I always do at the beginning is I love showing how diverse everybody is. You know, we're all, if, if you're on the show, you know, most likely somebody's involved, you're, you're involved somewhere in the e-commerce world. However, the path that people take to all arrive at this one place is completely different. So I'm taking from your accent, you're from uh, Alabama, USA, maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> I'm from Auckland, New Zealand originally. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So is that where you spent most of your, um, your life? So I was born and raised in New Zealand, um, to parents who immigrated from Israel. And so like, I'm a, like a original Kiwi born and raised in, in New Zealand. And, uh, when my parents divorced, when I was 15, I decided to stay in New Zealand on my own. And my dad moved to Australia. My mom moved to Israel and uh, eventually at the age of 22, hold on, I, hold on, um, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Did you say that you lived on your own at the age of 15? Yeah. So I grew up in a, um, I'm actually very blessed that the type of ho- household I was growing up that I was brought up with. Um, my parents are, well, I want to say entrepreneurs, self-employed, and I was shown things very, very early on. And when my parents decided to divorce, um, I did not want to move, not to Israel and not to Australia. I wanted to finish school in New Zealand. And I persuaded my parents to let me stay. And I stayed on my own from the age of 15 until 22, until I um, moved here. So yeah, and what got me by in life was e-commerce. So I actually started my e-commerce um, journey when I was 15. I was, um, my story goes back to when I was very young. I was watching my father flipping things very early on. And because he had an accent from like the age of nine, I would do all the, the talking on the phone, et cetera. Like I'm talking to you back in the days where you would buy things, you know, from, from looking at the newspaper. Yeah. Like you'd buy a TV from someone who's really, really desperate and then like sell it for more at like a garage sale or whatever it may be. Um, so I was shown, you know, flipping, buying low, selling high from a very young age. And I actually started selling on trademe.co.nz, which is like probably like the eBay version of, of um, New Zealand at the time. Like I'm talking to you about 15 years ago. I'm 31 now. 
and um, I would import sunglasses. So in the in New Zealand, the UV lights is really bad, and sunglasses are really really important. And I would import sunglasses and sell them on Trade Me, and that's how I originally started in e-commerce when I was fifteen, and that's what got me through. And I finished school. Wow, interesting. That's a that's a great story. After graduating high school, now did you attend university in New Zealand? No. So I did not get any education after, well, I did lots of different types of courses, but no, I didn't go to university. I straight away went into um, working and um, I traveled for a while as well, lived in different places in the world. Um, but no, I did not, did not go to university. I, I had the university of life. <laughs> love it. Love it. Now, when did you discover the Amazon kind of opportunity? So when I moved to Israel, I was 22 and I, um, didn't really find myself here. Like it was, you know, it's very difficult moving to a country where you don't know the language and, you know, you don't really, you don't know where you fit in basically. Um, and online at the time I was still doing eBay and, and different things. And it was only after it was in t- late 2016 or mid 2016, where we actually got into a partnership wholesale account. So we started wholesale as silent as v- investors. Um, and it was only in really late 2016 when I said to my husband, like, you know, I started Googling and understanding more about Amazon. And it's like, crazy to me that I only really figured out Amazon FBA when I was like in my mid twenties or late twenties because it was, it's been around for so long, but it was late 2016 when we got our first private label product. What was the first year, first product? Are you still selling it now? If it's just selling now, no. you don't have to let us know, but no. if you're not selling it now, let us know what your first one was. So my very, very, very first private label product on Amazon was magnetic eyelashes. And that was at the time where magnetic eyelashes were just becoming a trend. So it was like the perfect product. It was an amazing product. Only the crappiest thing was that it was just very bad quality and they just don't work. So this is like a product that you could source for a dollar, $2.50 at the time and sell it for $19 if you were doing uh, marketing the product correctly. And we actually did sell out very, very well. But the reason we stopped that is because the one star reviews just did not stop coming in. And like, no matter what you would try to do, that product does not work as in it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do, basically. So it was a quality issue. Um, and we stopped that, but that was the very, very first product that we sold. Well, here's a great tip, guys. Try to get products that work. There's lesson number one. Uh, <laughs> as she said, that product was so amazing, except for the part that it sucked. So uh, there, there's our first lesson. Now, what did you do like differently with your kind of like, I don't know, second, third, fourth products when you started really getting traction? Like how did that first experience change how you look for products? Number one, that's when we really learned the lesson to always do inspections. Um, I also learned from that, that there is no such thing as not ordering samples. Um, absolutely like no such thing as not ordering samples. And once we did that, it's a lot easier to understand, you know, the type of product that you're selling And differentiation wise, we went hardcore on branding at the time. Um, Today, I can tell you because obviously Amazon's changed a lot and, you know, just brand branding is important. But what I mean is just having nice packaging is no longer, you know, enough today. Um, Differentiation wise today, I would say that the best thing to do is to really let the market tell you 
what your differentiation would be. So that's really reading a lot, understanding the market really, really well, understanding what buyers are looking for, not just from, you know, using, um, the, the review downloader and things like that, but also really going on blogs and on Google and understanding what people, how people are using the product, what do they actually want from the product, et cetera. And that really usually tells me how I can differentiate. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you a quick question then. Let's just fast forward really quick. You know, you started Amazon, you know, a few years ago, but but here, 2019, the close of 2019, I'm not, you, know, you may, maybe haven't done all your accounting yet, but what was your, your gross revenue that you generated from your Amazon stores for 2019? All together. So we have, it's a difficult answer and I'll tell you why. We've got three separate accounts. One is an account that is still running today as a wholesale account that we are a partnership in, which I don't like to include that because it's not fair for, you know, private label wise. And it's not something I can know until, you know, next year exactly. So I'm just going to use the private label accounts, the private label accounts together are grossing probably close to 1.5 million. I want to say something around that. Okay. And then like, uh, what's your approximate profit margin on that? Oh, so one account, which is the one that I usually share online. Um, and I want to say that I say it a hundred million times always also on my channel, this account, the profit margin is not something that uh, the profit margin is very high in one of them, which is 45%, which is not something that realistic, very difficult to find products like this. And that's our oldest brand that is from, you know, a while back. And it's a very, very cheap product to buy that is still able to sell for a lot higher. And the other one is 28%. So it depends on, you know, on which products we're we're looking at. Um, But yeah. That's great. Now, how have you been able to maintain that high a profit margin? Like the, the, the competitors that have come on into the niche, just they came late and and you're the most established one or that's, that's, that's incredible. That's really great. But like how, how I know it's hard, like you said, it's kind of hard to duplicate that, but how were you able to, to, to get and maintain that kind of profit margin? When everyone was coming in, when a lot of new sellers were coming, first of all, we only sell very niche based products. We are what you would call a big fish in small ponds. Okay. So I know the market cap demand wise for these niches. And I also know over time when new sellers come in, they more or less all copy us, to be honest, they copy the way that we differentiated, et cetera. And the thing that really made us be able to stay the same is not being pressured to lower our price. So when I've looked at the competition over the past three years, They've been consistently lowering price. We were from day one. Well, not from day one, but when, once we have established ourselves, we were at a point where we put our price as the highest price point. And that was because this is the specific brand that I'm talking to you about is a um, cosmetics niche. And all of the competition, their branding is very healthy looking. So, you know, like packaging colors are white and pink, white and green, very healthy looking type of colors. And we went on very, I hate when people use the word premium, but I don't have another word for it right now. Very premium sort of looking. So, you know, black and gold, white and gold. When everyone was using, you know, brown, um, brown haired uh, models, we were using blondes and just, we differentiated and went into a very premium 
luxurious type of way when it is more healthy based product. And because we did that, it allowed us to also be able to from day, not day one, but like two to three months after start asking for a higher price point. And because we were not pressured to put the price point down when all sorts of, you know, I'm talking to you about people coming in at half price and we stayed the same. And to be honest, it's, we're very, I don't really believe in luck, but I'm just going to say we're very lucky that that has really helped us to, I've never been pressured to put the price down and we sell more than everyone else. I honestly believe because our price point and reviews, of course, you know. I like it. Now, how many products or how many SKUs do you have under this brand? This brand that I'm talking to you about right now has seven um, products. Altogether, we have 17 SKUs currently active. We have a few products that are going through some issues right now. So currently active, we've got 17 SKUs. And when I say issues, um, we are in niches that, like I said, very, very niche based products. And when we came into these niches, we were able to, I use the word dominate very, very quickly. But on one of our brands, our biggest differentiation point was our branding. So, you know, that's our packaging, our logo, just the way that we brand the products. And what's happened over the last six months is a lot of competition has come in. It doesn't have to necessarily be a lot, but like I said, cheap product, cheaper pricing, not necessarily cheap products, but cheaper pricing and copying our branding. So it's not copy paste as in literally, you know, the same packaging as us because we're trademarked, et cetera. They can't but our exact style and all sorts of different things that we do that, you know, I'd give away the product if I'd say exactly, but you know what I mean? So we've got some issues with with some of them that we know that we're being attacked um, with, uh, with reviews and all sorts of different things that we know that there's issues there. So currently some of our products in that brand is going through some issues. So today we've got 17 active SKUs. Now, throughout the process of getting those 17, obviously you didn't launch 17 at one time. So what was your process in knowing how to or where to expand and, and, you know, what, how did you find new products within that, within the, for or for that brand? I'm assuming it's all similar niche, right? They're all similar niche. So they're all complementary products to one another. And the good thing about that is it's very easy to upsell. So if one person has bought a specific type of product, then they will most likely buy another product that we have, if that makes sense. So the process, first of all, I want to say that we did have the most important thing that people don't take into account when they come into Amazon is cash flow. And we did have the money to get into this. So we did not launch everything at once. It was, you know, it did go, there was a journey that we went through there and not all of our products are, you know, hundred thousand dollar products. We have a lot of smaller base products, but because everything together makes something big, if that sort of makes sense. And, um, the journey sort of to get there was also through having that, that cash flow. Um, and yeah. Have you ever had to discontinue a, a product? Oh, of course. We've had failed products. Under that brand? Under under both brands, yeah. We've had failed products. And so like what what was like what was the reason why like why did you consider it a failure? And like you know, were you losing money or what made you say, you know what, let's just cut our losses on this product and move on? 
not necessarily losing money, but not moving the way that we wanted it to move. So, um, you know what, let's not call it failed products. Let's just say products that we decided that it wasn't going in the direction that we had hoped it would go. Let's put it that way. Cause they're not necessarily were losses, but our expectations for it were higher. And, you know, maybe at that time we, we thought it would be something big when it wasn't, or it wasn't complimentary, like a complimentary product to another product we sell sold, like we thought it would be. Sometimes you can do all the homework there is, but until the product hits Amazon, you can't actually know, you know, the reaction to that product. Um, we listen to our buyers. If like, what I mean by that is we listen to what people are saying. So we made, have made a lot of changes in products. And we also listen when something, when we realize it's, you know, maybe doesn't work the way that we wanted it to work. And we know also when to put our hands up and say, okay, you know, maybe this product isn't what we wanted it to be basically. Okay. So like when you, because you're, you know, building out this brand, what are some of your branding strategies? Like, like, do you have a social media audience, like a Facebook page or community at all, or email list, or what have you done as far as that goes? So apart from Amazon, we have other businesses and I'm also a mom. And when we came into this, I really made the decision that I'm going to go all hard on understanding and learning PPC. And that's probably one of my specialities is PPC. And I decided that I just didn't have time. And that's the truth. I just didn't have time to really learn social media correctly. So we outsource that. We have a company here that out, we've outsourced and they take care of our um, Instagram accounts, our Facebook accounts, our Facebook um, ads, etc. And that's something that took time to, to get to. But most of our you know marketing, etc. is done inside of Amazon through PPC. Um, and branding wise, we have, we put out a lot of information. So to our clients, so we've been able to build audiences from just, you know, how to use the product, not necessarily just how to use the product, but I'm trying to think of an example. Like, let's say if you were to sell a, um, some sort of cream, like a wrinkle cream. So how to stay young, you know, anti-aging type of things. And then at the, at the end of, you know, for example, an email or in whatever, in our blog, et cetera, will come and say, you know, you could, that you can use our product for this, et cetera. So a lot of it is also through blogs as well. And, um, our blogs, yeah, our own blogs that we, we put out a lot of information um, which I used to write myself. And as time went by, I ended up outsourcing um, that because I just didn't have time anymore. <laughs> it's a lot. It's not easy writing content whatsoever. Now, how do you even like get with the customers to be able to deliver, you know, the, these, these content pieces? Do you have inserts in your package or was it all, you know, from, from your dot com or, or like how do you even communicate with the buyers to, so that you can share this information with them? So a lot of it is, I want to say also inserts, but we had, we went really hardcore on Instagram. So our type of buyers are, um, you know, middle-aged women and younger women and mothers. And we went hardcore on Instagram as well. So from there, we take people to our website we do have inserts that have um, QR codes that take them to our website. We used to, well, not used to, we try and take our um, clients as much as we can today, like I'm talking now after our brands are established, 
outside of Amazon because, you know, we, we want to be able to also have them buy from, from us and not just have them inside of Amazon today. Um, so it's a lot of marketing also outside of Amazon, but also, you know, just giving out that content. So in the very beginning, we used to sell, um, not sell, we used to also put eBooks, but in the eBook on the last page, there was also, you know, small coupon codes and things like that, but they would have to go to our website to download it. So then we'd also have their email and, you know, eventually we'll also be able to hit them on Facebook, um, and things like that. But we'd always, try and get them as much as we can to our website so that, you know, we can target them. Now, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have this question. I, I see it a lot in the Facebook group. So they'll be like, wait a minute, you know, like, isn't that like, you know, is that okay to have inserts direct into the website or, or is that okay to send them to Instagram? So like, what, how does that work? <laughs> Today in late 2019, after everything that's been going on, you know, with, with Amazon, it's not okay today to be able to take them to your website unless it's for a warranty. So today specifically, as you know, we're doing this interview now towards 2020, you're not supposed to have on your inserts today, um, anything that's going to take your client outside of Amazon. And for the people who will say, yeah, but you know, Nike and Adidas, and you know, they do, et cetera, they're on a different level. Um, and Today specifically, you're, you're not supposed to do that. So the next question would be, well, how would Amazon know? You know, if and that's mostly if someone was basically to complain about you, because Amazon workers don't actually go and open up your products and look inside and see, oh my god, that's good. You know, most of the Amazon workers in the warehouses don't actually know the TOS. They don't know terms of service. So they're not, you know, it's not that if you do have your insert card right now that's in Amazon with your website that you need to go and, you know, get your, your stock outside of Amazon. But today, if you're doing everything black and white, you know, not doing anything black hat, only doing things as you should, you're not supposed to have um, a QR code even either as well. You're not supposed to take them. Amazon does not want you to take their buyers to your website at all today, basically. It has become a little bit harder. So it's up to you whether you decide to do it or not. And if the question is, do we still have um, on our packaging, et cetera? Yes, we still have our websites there. What about, as we know, one of the most important aspects of getting traction is the social proof, which you know basically comes from reviews. So what's your strategy in this day and age? That, that's another thing that's changed over the last three years. You know, when you first started, you you could do incentivized reviews, uh, you know, back in 2016. But what's your best strategy on, on getting reviews for 2020? So for 2020, literally in the last three months, things have changed. So first of all, in the last, uh, we're brand registered. Okay. So first of all, when you're brand registered now, you can also use Vine, um, which is amazing. Um, there's also the early reviewer program, which is something that, you know, it's been out for what the last one year, which is very, very, to be honest today, if you would have asked me this question a year ago, um, the answer would have been very different than what it is today. I would feel a lot more comfortable doing gray hat, let's call it things a year ago. Today specifically, I would say to do things, you know, by the book. So early reviewer program, um, sending out an email. Amazon also now has the request, uh, email request button, which is amazing. And when you have, you know, selling hundreds of units a day, it's highly impossible to be able to click a button all day long requesting, you know, a review. 
But um, either using a program like, you know, follow up on Helium 10 for sending follow up emails, etc. Um, and if you are brand registered, then I would most definitely take advantage of Vine, which you can get up to 30 reviews, which is amazing. Um, and they're high, high level reviewers as well. And if you're not brand registered, I'd say early reviewer program, follow up from Helium 10. Um, insert card wise, you can still ask for a review as long as you don't say, you know, to leave a review only if they're happy and if not for them to email you, uh, to, to get in touch with you first. So you can still do that as well. Um, and if you're got less than 30 reviews and you're brand registered, you can also use Vine. That's the first things that popped into my head right now. And the request button, if you have, you know, less than, if you've got one or two products, you should be okay to, to also, you know, click on that request, request for a review button as well. Okay. Excellent. Now you, you had mentioned one of your specialties is PPC and I'm going to ask you for a, a PPC tip in a little bit, but one quick question I had, you know, since you do have a stronger brand is, you know, this is something that's been debated back and forth is, do you personally bid on your own brand names to like, make sure that, you know, to, to protect yourself against other people bidding against it? Or, or do you just assume that, Hey, you know, if somebody's searching for my brand, they're going to get me anyways. Yes, we do bid on our brand names and we also target our own ASINs. So. Okay. For the product targeting. For product targeting as well. I want to be everywhere. So even if I'm ranked at the top, I want to be everywhere and have as much real estate on Amazon as I can. So definitely don't want anyone to show up. Now, I will say that when you look us up uh, on our brands, we're always, you know, there. And if you click on us, you go straight to our store because we're brand registered. So it's not that if you click on our brand names that you are taken to and seen, you're seeing other, other products. You only see our brand, our storefront. But yes, anyway, to answer your question, yes, we, we do put on our own brands. Okay. Another question here I have, you talked about being brand registered. So obviously you have access to brand analytics. Uh, do you have any cool, I don't know, tips to, of how you personally use the brand analytics? Um, first of all, product targeting. Um, if you're doing product targeting and you have access to brand analytics, then, you know, obviously if you don't have brand analytics and you'd use Helium 10, you've got Cerebro or even product targeting mm -hmm. and, and black box. But if you do have brand analytics, it, there's endless amount of information. There's so many things that you can do with it. If it's PPC wise, then you can put in either, you know, your top competitors, ASINs or even your own ASIN and get, you know, the search term, um, uh, frequency rank and see, uh, what um, keywords are most important for or most relevant or even the non-relevant keywords and use the first, second, and third ASINs that are clicked. Have a look at that click share and see, you know, who is getting getting those clicks and target those ASINs. That's number one. Only obviously if you can compete against them. So if you can't compete in a against an ASIN, don't target it because you're just going to waste money. If you can compete against it, definitely you know, use that and you can see in brand analytics, the first, the second and the third most clicked ASINs for that keyword. You can also see how much of that converts. So that's number one. And number two, if you're in, you know, product research stage, then you should definitely also um, use that for keywords and for products. Um, sometimes it won't just be like direct competitors and it can also take you, if you were looking at one product, it can suddenly take you to a totally different product that you didn't even think of. Um, that's the first two things that come to mind right now. Cool. That's good. Now, 
a question, you know, like, like you said, you know, a lot of the brand analytics, it's, you know, obviously Helium 10 does not supply access to brand yeah. analytics. That's not allowed by Amazon, but we have to, tools that, you know, you can kind of get similar information, you know, like Cerebro showing you who's ranked high, but, but what are, what are your favorite things about Helium 10 as a whole? Like, what do you find yourself using the most out of the suite? I mostly use Cerebro, if you were to ask me, not because I do a lot of coaching. So I also do a lot of one-on-one coaching and most of the people that I coach don't have brand analytics and I only use Helium 10. So I've used all the softwares out there and I'm not saying this because this is a Helium 10 like podcast. I, I honestly, if you've mm. been following me, I honestly only use Helium 10. And I will say that it's a one-stop shop and I use profits often as well. Um, but mostly, most of the time I will find myself using Cerebro. If I'm helping my clients build listings and things like that, then I use Scribbles. I use Scribbles a lot. Um, I'm, I feel like I know Helium 10, like the back of my hand, to be honest, I could give you endless amount of things that I use Helium 10 for, but you know, I could also start with using Cerebro and then take those keywords to Frankenstein. And then from Frankenstein, take the words to Cerebro, uh, to, to Scribbles, and, you know, see if a listing is optimized or not. A lot of the times people think their listing is optimized and it isn't. And I use scribbles to show them that, um, you know, that they're, they're not even using keywords that they should be using. So I would say scribbles and Cerebro are the tools that I use the most, almost on a daily basis. Scribbles more for clients and Cerebro for everything. All right. That's great. Now let's switch completely gears now. How many children do you have? I've got one. I've got an almost three-year-old son. Okay. Now how does being a, I guess the word is what, mompreneur, M- like how does that affected your life? Mamapreneur. <laughs> um, Talk about that a little bit. It's very, very difficult to balance life. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I sit on um, my butt all day and do nothing. I, I have a rule in my house. So I've got a big house and my office is on the fourth floor of my house. And I do not take the laptop out of my office under any circumstances. And that's a number one rule that I have because it's very, very easy to mix, you know, um, business and pleasure. I also have a rule in my house that between four and seven, I'm only with my son. So no matter what happens, unless I've got, you know, something crazy going on in the business, I'm always with my son. Apart from that, I'm most of the time working. So I'm most of the time on, on my computer, um, or, or on my phone working. It's not easy, but I was because of this lifestyle, able to have my son homeschooled until almost the age of two, which was always my dream. Um, and you know, I, we also want to have another child at, at some stage, but I want to also be able to um, be able to give that time as well. So I'm not going to pretend I'm a very active businesswoman as well. I'm very active. So we're a husband and wife team and I'm very active in our businesses, as I'm sure you can tell. Um, and it's, I'm still working on the time management, you know, finding that balance between Amazon, other businesses that we have coaching, motherhood, wife. It's not easy. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend it is, but it's fun. And, you know, I do have that freedom And it's, if my son wakes up sick in the morning, I'm not, you know, going to cry about the fact that he has to stay home today and he can't go to kindergarten or to daycare because, you know, I have to run into work and work, find a babysitter or whatever. So it's not easy, but I, I love it. 
That's awesome. You know, I think there's a lot of people, both, you know, mothers and fathers who are parents and they're just like wondering how, you know, how is the life different? You know, once you are able to work at home, you know, it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns there, but I think, I think the, uh, uh, and tell me if you agree, but I think the positives outweigh the the negatives as oh, opposed to working sure. nine to five. Look, I didn't sleep in the first year of, of our um, Amazon business. I literally, I had to choose whether I want to sleep or whether I want to scale and I didn't sleep. And I'm not going to say that that's healthy because it's not, but I worked my butt off for, I want to say at least a year and a half in order to be able to work a little bit less, at least, you know, I'm now venturing into different things like coaching and, and things that I didn't even think I would get into. So I, the time, free time that I did have is no longer free time, but I worked hard and, and really didn't sleep and, and stressed a lot in order to be able to do that less today. And if I didn't venture into different things like that are outside of Amazon, I would have a lot more free time today, but that's just me. It's just the type of person I am. And, you know, I'm consistently trying to scale, but if I can do it, anyone can do it. Like if, if there's a mother out there or, or a parent out there who, who's thinks, you know, I know I only have one son or one child and there are people that have more children and, you know, there's a lot of time that goes into it that, but if I can find time to do it, then anyone can, because a lot of people just say that they don't have time, but it's really just prioritizing and, you know, what's most important to you. And my son and my husband are more important to me than anything else, but so is my business. So if that means that I will go to sleep, you know, an hour later, I'll go to sleep an hour later if I need to do attend to my businesses. All right. That's great to, to know. So thank you for that. Plus four story house. I just remember that you said it. So that means if I visit you guys, you can, you can give me one whole, one whole floor in your house. huh? It's a fourth. Our house is built upwards. So we have two like half stories, I guess you'd, you'd call them. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got a big house. Okay. Now we got to a part of the show we call the, which stands for TST 30 second tip. So since PPC is your specialty, think to your PPC strategies and something that you could say that's super valuable, maybe unique that our listeners will, will be able to implement, but it's got to take you 30 seconds or less to, to say it. So you can think about it for a couple seconds if you want, but let us know. Uh, no, I can, I think I could try and say it in 30 seconds. All right, go ahead. Number one would be to make sure that you are always looking at your impressions. Not enough people speak about impressions and you have to know how to use impressions. So if you've got a keyword that has, you know, 20,000 impressions and only five clicks, you may not even look at it because it's only got five clicks. You didn't spend a lot of money on it, but it took up 20,000 impressions. And those impressions could have gone towards a keyword that would have actually converted better. So start looking at your impressions and don't only obsess over your ACOS. Was that 30 Love seconds? It. All right. <laughs> yep. You yeah. did it. You did it. Now, one last thing. I want to make fun of your accent if I can a little bit. This is interesting. <laughs> I love different accents. Now, I take it that people from, I guess, Kiwis, it almost sounds like if a, if a word ends at like a O or O-W, it sounds like you're adding an R. So so can you say, I'm going to do some some like Amazon related words. So can you say auto campaign? campaign? <laughs> auto campaign. Uh, okay. There wasn't too much of an R. How about this? Uh, how about product video? Product video. You see, there's like an R at the end there. Okay, <laughs> how about this? The most important one, Cerebro. Cerebro. You see, there's like, it's like C-E-B-E-R-O-R almost. I love it. All right, so now uh, I, I can tell a Kiwi's accent now, I guess. New Zealanders have a lazy accent. New Zealanders and Australians, we've got a lazy accent. That's what I've been told anyway. 
I love it though. Uh, and it, of course, you know, uh, I'm not trying to hate on you. I just love the accent. You know, you know what my favorite accent, English accent in the world is though? What? British. South African. It's the South African. Yeah. Like, I like, love like it's South so African. unique to me. I love South In New Zealand, there's a lot of South Africans in New Zealand. I know a lot of swear words in South African, which don't worry, I won't say. In Afrikaans, sorry, which I won't say. But I used to do a really good South African <laughs> accent, but I love South African accents. Yeah. You know, very, can you give us your, your, your South African accent? Um, it's so irritating. <laughs> if you ever hear a South African saying irritating, that's how they say it. Irritating. Um, I rest, love it. I love the it. The rest of the things that come to mind are swear words. So I won't say them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that. Well, uh, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on. Now I love, I think people would love to, you know, be able to reach out to you or to find you on your, your Instagram, YouTube, and you say you do some coaching as well. So if people want to find more about you or, or get in contact, what are some ways that they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, on YouTube, it's Sharon Evan. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, it's official Sharon Evan. And my coaching website is um, amazonalphacoaching.com. And they can reach out to me there. All right. Thank you, Sharon. You were absolutely not irritating uh, at all. Uh, so thank you for being a guest. And we'll, we'd love to reach out to you towards the end of 2020 and, and see where you're at with your different brands and how, how things are going just in the life of this mompreneur. Thank you very, very much, Bradley. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. 